0: Fresh Art International presents conversations about creativity in the 21st century. Welcome to Chicago. This is Fresh Art International Live. You're about to hear a conversation we recorded with American artist Amy Sherald before a live audience inside Monique Meloche Gallery in a west side neighborhood known as Wicker Park. I'm Kathy Byrd. Today we're in Chicago. Bringing you the Fresh Art International podcast, I'm here with artist Amy Sherald. We're sitting in the midst of six gorgeous paintings in Amy's first solo show at this gallery, and the title of the show is A Wonderful Dream. I'm thrilled, Amy, thank you.
1: Happy to be here.
0: Amy Sherald is an American artist born in Columbus, Georgia, and based now in Baltimore. She received her MFA in painting from Maryland Institute College of Art in 2004, and before that, a BA in painting from Clark, Atlanta. She was a Spelman College international artist-in-residence in Panama. She's been a recipient of the Joan Mitchell Foundation Painting and Sculpture Grant and the Pollock-Krasner grant. The biggest deal lately is that she was the first female to win the Outwin-Bushever Portrait Competition Grand Prize, for which her work will be added to the Smithsonian's National Portrait Gallery collection. That's so awesome. That's pretty cool. (laughs) We're here today in a place between grief and celebration. With the latest shock of killings in America and the emotional tensions that are high at this moment, Amy Sherald is what we need. Her work and the vulnerability it expresses are bringing us together. So we're filled with sadness and anger. At the same time, we're filled with happiness and celebration around this fantastic artist. So you grew up in the South. I did. That's the heartland of what Dawood Bey describes in his essay about this show as the fraught social narrative of race in America. Mm -hmm. So talk about a challenging place to grow up.
1: I mean, I was born in 73, so there was still a lot of residual racism in Columbus, Georgia. I feel like it's still a very segregated city in a lot of ways. I moved back to Georgia when I was 33 years old, and this was post-graduate school. So I had a new language, and I had a new way of seeing things, and I had this academic background behind me so that I was really finally able to understand my environment and then be able to put a language to it. So as a 33 year old woman, I went home and I was interacting in the same spaces that I grew up in as a child, but just with more knowledge and the ability to like see the structure and understand it. And I think that's when I began to have these introspective moments of who I was as an individual, going to Catholic schools and being in in an environment where there were not a lot of people that looked like me, but then being confused about my identity too, because I was light-skinned and my hair was a little light, and like people would treat me sometimes I wasn't black enough, but then some white people would be way more comfortable around me than they should, and say things that it's like, well, you're not black anyway. I'm like, yes, I am. <laughs> so not even being biracial, but having this, I guess, like an identity crisis in a way. So like then reaching the ninth grade and um, all of a sudden having black friends and then trying to figure out how to fit in with my black friends. For me, it was like assuming a language. I came home from school and I was like, hey ma, i start talking like this. And my mom was like, I'm so sorry, but this is not going to happen. So like just, but again, like not having the language. I always joke around. I say public enemy. It's like it brought me home. Being able to find some kind of identity within music and then rap music and then having relationships with people of color who looked, obviously they looked like me, but that kind of brought me along. But I felt like I was really confused for my whole freshman year of high school because of that.
0: You've called it code switching, like a sociological term.
1: Well, I learned that when I took sociology class. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, isn't
0: that funny how suddenly we learn what things are called, we've lived them our whole lives, and now we know what to call them. Yeah, I mean, but
1: it's something we all do. It's just, you know, it's not special to me, it's something we all do, but I feel like it's something specifically that black people do, but then also, you know, I've done workshops with young Hispanic men and young African-American men where they sit down and talk about the commonalities that they have and what it means to have that because it's a skill and now it's a skill that would save your life. You know, it's a skill that I feel like a lot of youth don't have now is that ability to be the chameleon and change who you are in that environment so that you can just survive. Mm
0: -hmm. I guess there's a sense of being alone and belonging at the same time Mm -hmm. that you're dealing with. And in that changing that you did between home and school and outside, inside, black and white, communities and environments, there's a certain freedom in it, no?
1: I think, for me, it was because, in a way, I formed my own identity. And it's not that I think I'm something that I'm not, but in a way, you become what you're perceived as and not necessarily in college, but I guess just after college because I went to Clark Atlanta University basically for the reason of like just kind of having a black experience, what I considered you know, a black experience and because my father went to Morehouse. I don't know. Like I think I always felt a little trapped by identity because of the fact that I didn't have black friends, and so I'm not sure this is a conversation that I would like, normally have with strangers, but it's like I have my inner white girl, and then I have a black woman. They all live inside of me culturally. I associate with a lot of different people. My friends growing up were from different countries. My best friend is from Yemen, and so I experienced Africa and Panama. I like living at the intersection of all those spaces because it feels freer. And it feels like what a contemporary black experience should be. But that's a hard conversation to have in America with everything that's going on right now. There's no freedom to kind of experience yourself as you would be without the preconstructions of race and gender. Because I'm definitely a black woman. I'm definitely an American. But like without all the prescribed or circumscribed things that happen around me, I wanted to get to know my real true inner self. And so I think... I like that freedom because as an artist I think outside of the box and I want to be able to express myself in any way that I feel like my spirit moves me, respectfully so, without feeling like I'm abandoning an historical narrative that's deeply in me.
0: Mm -hmm. That leads me to thinking about why you chose portraiture as your way of expressing yourself. And Dawood wrote that the fundamental trope in the making of portraiture is to create a psychological and emotional experience of the depicted subject. And I think that really connects with your idea of how history is represented and how you want to be representing yourself now, but the idea that the viewer has an experience of the portrait in ways that transcend it as an object. Mm-hmm. And I wondered what led you to portraiture?
1: When I would sit down and draw as a kid, I would just draw people. Like it's just There was nothing else to draw. They didn't want to draw cars. I would draw flowers, you know what I mean? So it was just like a, a natural evolution. And the work that I looked at in encyclopedias, because that's what I was looking at, were images of people. For me, like what being an artist meant was like mastering the skill of being able to render a figure. And that was the ultimate goal. That's all, that's all I really knew.
0: The fact that you're painting people and you're painting your people. Yeah. But you've chosen to depict them with skin that's charcoal. Excluding the idea of color as race was one idea you had to begin. Yeah. And how has that evolved? How has it evolved? Or is it still ever present it's still. As-
1: I mean, like all, all decisions that are made about my work are 100% aesthetic in the beginning. I didn't start with this conversation that I'm having. But in a way, it's a journal of me processing my life and living in this world and the work means different things to me at different times. This week it resonates with me as something that's deeply needed and I pray for the day that these images become so unimportant because maybe the issues at some point disappear but right now we need to see images of ourselves and people need to see images of us that are simply represented outside of the dominant historical narrative and so like as soon as that goes away, which I kind of am assuming is never going to happen, then the paintings will be boring all of a sudden because they'll just be images of people. But now they mean so much because the black body is politicized and it's making a statement.
0: Amy referred me to a poet that she's inspired by named David White, and he talks about vulnerability as something that's human, something we all have and we're all trying to deny all the time. The only choice, he said, is how we inhabit our vulnerability. Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah, And I think I see that in this work. He talks about how everything is in conversation. He talks about building your identity on that frontier where you're connected to everything. And for me, I think that's why it resonated with me, because that's a place of freedom that I don't really feel like we live. Sometimes I feel like, and this is one of my favorite words, like I'm being a little bit Panglossian. Naive, calling for hope and calling for freedom when there's so many oppressive things happening, like am I the crazy person in the room? But I feel like there always should be a reaching out for that and not being afraid to just let go and be yourself and just exist.
0: You began describing this work as creating a fairy tale, creating an environment in the painting for the subject where they could be whoever they wanted to be. So I think it would be interesting for us to look at one of these paintings. Talk us through the boy with the fish.
1: Well, the model's name is Caleb, and he's a young man that lives in Miami. I've known his father since I was three years old. We grew up together. And I had taken my mom on vacation to Miami, and since they lived there, we were spending time together. And so he talked about just you know going fishing all the time. He has this great relationship with his father. He, They're a tight-knit family. They're all musicians. His father is a minister. Seeing them together, it just created a sense of wonderment, really, in me. And um, when I met him, he had on a t-shirt and some sweatpants. But he had this bandana around his head that had stars on it. He's just so much of his own person. I think that's what it was. Like He was just so much of his own person at 15 years old that I just had to paint him. Sometimes it's just that simple. I mean, the image resonates on many different levels. But for me, I fell in love with him and his spirit and what he represented. He's the epitome of everything that I think we aspire to be. The ideas are very simple in my head. So I even hate to talk about like, what they are in the beginning. Because if I said, hey, I'm going to paint a guy with a fishing pole and some overalls, you'd be like, why? I'm painting the things that I want to see. Mm-hmm.
0: Well, I'm looking at this painting, I'm seeing that you can't tell where this boy is, that yeah. liminal space that you represent him in, as opposed to showing us a place or time in which he's situated. So right. talk about that liminal space that you represent.
1: I mean, when, I, when people ask me about my backgrounds, I think about something that Odd told me when I was studying with him in Norway. He talks about heliocentrism, and he talks about geocentrism. And he's stretching the definition of them, but he says that heliocentric work is work that can exist in any time or space and still be relatable to whatever time that it's existing in. So I want them to be these eternal beings, these archetypes. And although the costuming has moved a little further away from fantasy and more contemporary. Recently I've just been really reconnecting with the work that inspired me and looking at a lot of Bo Bartlett paintings and thinking about American realism and thinking about these images as paintings of American people and wanting to place myself in that genre because these are the artists that I grew up looking at and emulating and my stories shouldn't be shared separately from their stories because I'm a narrative painter, I paint the figure, I paint Americans doing everyday ordinary things.
0: Amy's work makes me pose questions about where I stand on issues of race and vulnerability and why and what can I do to make this world better. The question is how to make what Amy imagines become real. And how do we reshape a world in a way that makes it feel less toxic and more hopeful? And I'm wondering what you
1: hope that viewers take away from seeing your work. A sense of wholeness. I mean, I appreciate the emails that I get from people who are not black, who really look at the work and see themselves. I want them to leave with a sense of wholeness. But for me, because I live in a city that's full of such disparity, I'm painting these images in hopes that we can see ourselves in a different way. To be able to think freely and to imagine is a privilege in itself. I
0: appreciate you, Amy, and all that you give with your art. Thank you for doing the podcast here. I'm Kathy Bird. This is Fresh Art International Live with Amy Sherald. Recorded during a week marked with killings that accentuated ongoing racial issues in America... Our conversation verged on joy and sadness. The timeless sense of black identity described in Amy Sherald's figurative paintings reminds us how art can be both transcendent and aspirational. Take a look at Amy Sherald's work and read more about her on freshartinternational.com. If you liked this episode, please share it and listen to more. There are over 100 episodes to choose from. You can subscribe to this series on iTunes and your Android device. We're on SoundCloud and Public Radio Exchange. Thank you for listening. Stay tuned for more conversations about creativity.